Welcome to the BMC Run and Reinvent Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Perez, and today's guest is Scott O'Hare, Director of IT Operations for the USDA. We're joined by Allison Kramer, Senior Director of Marketing here at BMC. Now today we're going to be talking about moving to the cloud and what it means to be cloud first versus cloud smart. Okay, Allison, I'll let you take it from here. Great. Thanks so much, Jill. Scott, we are super excited to have you here today, and we were hoping you could kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your experiences, and your role at USDA. Absolutely. First of all, Allison uh, and Jill, thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to be able to talk about what we're doing over here. Uh, so yeah, like you introduced me, my name is Scott O'Hare. I've uh, been with uh, the Federal Service now for the U.S. government for 20 years. I did six years in the United States Navy. And I've been working at the, uh, under the CIO's office at the United States Department of Agriculture uh, for the 14 years after that. I am the, the director of uh, IT operations and service delivery, uh, like, I, like I said, for the CIO, CIO's office. Uh, we provide hosting services across uh, the department and to other federal customers. So we've been doing uh, IT services and uh, cloud services specifically for uh, our customer base uh, for at least 10 years, and we've been in business for almost 45 years uh, total. So we're, uh, we've had a lot of experience and uh, you know, moving uh, forward with keeping pace with technology and innovations and moving out to uh, commercial cloud spaces, extending our service offerings is something that we're really excited about. Fantastic. So a lot of people, when they start talking about the cloud, they start flinging around different terms like hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, all these different things. Like when you think about cloud in terms um, from the government perspective, like when you and you look at all the different options available to you, what does multi-cloud mean for the federal government? Absolutely. Good question. Um, let, let's, let's back up because you mentioned hybrid cloud also. And so I kind of want to touch on sort of how we are accepting and defining both hybrid and multi-cloud and how they kind of work together. Um, so hybrid cloud, right, is, uh, you know, to us conceptually, it's, it's having that private data center and then being able to extend out into a, uh, you know, a, a different data center or a commercial data center, uh, primarily like into an Azure or an AWS. Mm-hmm. And then multi-cloud would be, Obviously, as the as the term multi implies, having multiple different uh, clouds that you can provide service out of. So for us, it is taking the combination of the private uh, data center cloud, which, like I said earlier, we've been doing for quite some time, and it's extending that cloud out into both. Uh, we're extended now out into Azure and AWS. So we have this holistic cloud, uh, multiple clouds working together to give our uh, customers uh, the choice of where they want to be hosting their applications and platforms. Okay. So as you've worked through all this and you've gone through, you know, obviously you've had some sort of transformation process. You've thought through how you're going to plan this out, how you're going to roadmap it, what tools you're going to use, what things you're going to make available. How did you initially go through those, through that process? How did you decide, okay, we're going to the cloud and these are the cloud options we're going to have. Was that driven from your constituents? Like how did you work through all of that? Sure. So what we were kind of faced with is, like I said, we've been doing this for a while. So we feel like we understand how to provide sort of cloud services in the private data center model. The challenge is uh, with technology and with these different options available to consumers, they're changing so quickly and the expectations of the customers also change along with that. 
it's very hard to keep pace uh, as, as, a, as a large infrastructure sort of data center provider that we are. So we're looking to take what have traditionally been large capital expenses, you know, and maintaining a private cloud and the scalability and all the options that go along with it and the services and seeing how we can extend that out into, in theory, someone else's cloud space, but only buy as we consume out in those spaces. So if a, if a new customer, for example, uh, in the federal space wants to come do business with us and, and they present their portfolio of existing services and we're trying to size them out, it's challenging, you know, for the government in particular, but I think in, in private business as well for uh, those particular providers to be able to scale at large, uh, you know, sort of uh, speed and pace mm-hmm. to get those procurements done, get that gear set up, sort of building onto your cloud. The thought of being able to go out into, you know, an Azure or an AWS, which, you know, we all think of having unlimited capacity and capability, but you only pay for what you need as you need it, makes it very enticing for us. Uh, like I said, to get away from those traditional capital ex, uh, expenses and turn those into operating costs where um, we're just passing that directly onto the customer. We don't have to charge them for sort of the entire data center footprint. We just charge them for the resources that they're going to be using out in the commercial space. And then we all provide our full, our full managed service suite on top of that. Okay. Some folks, as they've gone through that journey, have had some unpleasant surprises, right? As they try to shift some of those costs around, maybe because they didn't understand certain applications were as chatty as they were, or maybe they had different dependencies that they didn't completely understand what from moving from a CapEx to an OpEx structure, what how that would change their costs, their cost basis. Did you have any of those challenges or was it a little bit smoother for you? No, absolutely. There's a, it's been a, if anybody tells you it's, uh, it's easy, I, I think you, you need to dive a little deeper into uh, what their definition of easy is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've been, as a, as a federal government, as a department, we've been on this cloud journey now for, it feels like a, a good six, seven years uh, since it was sort of originally decided that everybody is going to be moving to the cloud and getting out of doing everything themselves and having their own data centers, et cetera. Um, so it wasn't really until the last 12 months, I would say, that we kind of figured out how to make some substantial progress forward. Uh, and a lot of those challenges were culture is the biggest challenge. It's it's convincing an organization that might be 30, 40, 50 years old, uh, and it's really set in doing it a certain way, but there are different ways to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have a role or a position or a job when it's done. It just means that we need to figure out how to repurpose people. Um, so that's, that's one of the biggest things is that whole ch- culture, organizational change aspect. And I mean, that's pretty uniform for almost everything you're trying to do in IT as you're innovating. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing was we learned in the last 12 months that, and and people say they really want more information when I make this statement, but for for us, uh, technology is no longer the obstacle, right? So people, I think, get overwhelmed by how complex the technology part of moving to the cloud or reinventing yourself in the cloud. What we found is if we start with what we're doing well today before we move out into the cloud um, and we try to say, how can we replicate where it makes sense? Some of these things out in the cloud space, let's not try to just sort of reinvent our entire 
uh, business portfolio and how we provide service out in the commercial cloud. Let's see what we do well here. And if it's possible, we can extend those services out in the cloud and take off uh, sort of very small bites you know, instead of trying to instead of trying to eat the whole elephant, we're just going to take small bites at a time, and and go for you know really quick wins and make it much more manageable. What I see a lot is these gigantic efforts, gigantic gigantic contracts that uh, you know, from my perspective, just look completely overwhelming, unrealistic, and doomed to fail before they even start because they're just trying to accomplish way too much. So for us, it was really about identifying what we were really good at and where we wanted to complement ourselves and take these really small chunks and kind of dip our toes out into the commercial cloud space and see what we could come up with. That's great. I mean, that's a nice pragmatic plan, right, of just kind of be eating that the elephant one bite at a time and not really just going forward full blast. Um, I know I've heard you mention maybe make comments before of, you know, you're trying to look more at a strategy of being more cloud smart than cloud first. It sounds like that's part of what you just got into. But could you elaborate there a little bit more of like, what do you think it takes to be cloud smart? Absolutely. So the, the concept of cloud first, which has been sort of the, the brand or the moniker for, for years now, it's like everybody will, everybody needs to get out there. Everybody must go, now move. It, I think it paralyzes pretty much everybody that I work with and have partnered with and dealt with. Um, they, they know that they're supposed to do it. They don't really understand how or why to do it. We just got to go, you know, and it, it's, Cloud Smart is about refocusing that line of thought and, and figuring out where it makes sense in your portfolio to take those small steps um, and, and get out there as it makes sense and as you can prove that it's successful. So we do prescribe to uh, you know another concept that it's 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 well known. It's called fail fast, right? So small steps and fail fast allow us to pick a target or a goal, um, whether it's sm standing up a small you know, network extension out into the commercial cloud space um, and seeing how we can put our security controls around that. Um, it, but we give ourselves very targeted goals in very aggressive timeframes. So we're doing sort of an agile development methodology and, and you know, we'll say we have this to accomplish in 30 days. If we don't, then that's the fail part and that's fine. Because the, the other part of fail fast is if I fail, then what's, the, what's plan B? What, what did we have in the pipeline ready to go to try something else? But we don't sit there and try for six or nine or 12 months to accomplish a single task or a set of small tasks. We try to keep the scope small, deliver it in a very aggressive time frame, and, and, and monitor ourselves and be able to say we either made it or we didn't in, in that very short window. And if we do, we move on to the next day. And so you just build these small key uh, steps and these quick wins and you just keep building and building and before you know it you actually have something that you can now go out and set up a service inside of. So you mentioned in there you know you prove how the things are successful. I've seen a lot of people really struggle with that right before they go into the initiative maybe are, are remarkably unclear on what the outcome is that they want and then the knee-jerk reaction is well if it didn't save cost it must have failed. Right, and then that's causing it for some folks. It's causing some bounce back where they're pulling things back out of the cloud just because they felt like they didn't achieve a cost target or do some things like that. Do you have any advice that you would give for people who are trying to figure out how do you determine the success metrics? And then also to your point earlier about you guys are 
several years into this journey, like how much time would you assign to some of those, to some of those outcomes? Sure. So I think this is, and this is sort of another uh, statement that I make when people look at me, like I have five heads or something, but the, (laughs) I, I understand that most people when they're pitching the advantages of moving to the cloud, uh, cost comes up right away. Either it comes up or it's the scariest thing in the world because you don't understand what you're doing and it's going to, you know, sink you because you spend so much money. The the nice thing is we didn't focus on cost first. So we have these four pillars uh, in order of priority that we focused on uh, when we're sort of moving or extending our services out into the commercial cloud. And the number one pillar is security. And number two is performance. Number three is actually cost. And number four is customer experience. So cost is in there, um, but it's not the most important thing. So we were driven by making sure that whatever we did out in the commercial space, because we're federal government, uh, the number one thing it had to be was was secure. And we had to be able to put controls and we had to be able to prove that. Um, we do follow this framework sort of, of we assess what we're trying to do. Uh, we put a proposal together and it has, the proposal has to be very specific in what actions we're going to take. And then we move into the action stage where we're implementing these actions we, we said we were going to do. And, and whatever the time period we agreed on, 30 days, et cetera, now we report. So we report against what our original assessment and uh, uh, proposal plan was going to be. So it's, it, I think a, sim- a more simple way to say it would be say what you're going to do, do what you say, and then prove it. Um, so the, the, the aspect, again, of putting security and performance first really allowed us to focus on how to build a really great integration with the commercial cloud. And, and yes, and then the cost part of it is, is obviously everything. Everybody does get concerned and tripped up for it, but they're tripped up with it. But there are some really great tools out there that allow complete transparency to the cost and what you're spending. But if you focus on cost first and you're not really focusing on, you know, sort of service levels and performance and security, I just feel that it's backwards. Uh, and you're going to end up spending a lot of money and then, and then you're not going to have something that's not secure. It's not performing. And that's usually where you'll see people, you know, fail or abandon that, that project. That makes a ton of sense. So from from a security standpoint, how how did you manage concerns, given that sounds like that was one of your top priorities? What were some of the things that you concerned yourself with or looked at as you were moving to the cloud? Sure. So what we what we did and and I don't know that it's really unique among uh, different uh, organizations or providers out there. But what we tried to do, go back to an earlier answer, we tried to assess what we were doing well today. Um, and since we had that private data center and that cloud on-premise, we happen to specialize in security already. So we have a number of uh, tools, controls, automation, et cetera, that were in place inside of the data center. Um, and they were managing that private cloud. So what we chose to do, instead of going out to the commercial cloud and rebuilding everything from scratch, we took all of those tools, all of those processes, all that automation, even all of that staff, and we extended it virtually out into the commercial space. So now as we're standing up assets and applications in the commercial space, we're actually using all of those tools, product automation people to, to go out and manage them the same or relatively the same way that we're doing it today. So we didn't have to go out and invest in a new 
security stack, you know, a, a patching stack, a scanning stack, a ITSM stack, a portal, none of that stuff. We, we were actually able to repurpose most of the things we were already doing. Um, and so we spent most of our time just integrating the networks together and putting the boundaries in place so that we're kind of wrapping our arms around the commercial cloud um, and extending into it instead of recreating uh, everything once we got out there. That's fantastic. Do you think that that helped at all with adoption and consumption and even dealing with some of the cultural issues? hundred percent. I mean, when you explain it, so, so that was one of the major ways to get over that cultural hurdle now. Right, so think about it. I have this entire organization that already knows um, how to provide really good service on-prem. If we can, in effect, design a new service that's, let's say, hosted out in the commercial space, but they're still doing the same things, the same tickets are coming to them, the same methods that they're using to manage those assets, to scan, to patch, to respond to incidents, it's all the same. So we built, we took that framework, and, and, and the reality is, you know, no, nobody in IT these days is going out and touching, the very few people are going and touching gear or equipment. So we find that the staff, they don't, they don't really, they're not as concerned that that particular asset, that the VM, the container, whatever it is, happens to be in an Azure data center in Texas. As long as they're accessing it and managing it and, uh, you know, performing the same service on it that they were before, it, it you know, it's, it's sort of under the covers. It's a, it's a hidden win for them. So, yeah, it's been very successful. We didn't have to retrain everybody. There's not a lot of difference from managing cloud service on-prem versus managing in commercial cloud when you design it uh, in this manner. That's amazing. So how would you summarize the, the overall value realization to your organization for moving to the cloud with all of the different things and choices you've made along the way? Sure. So being able to um, sort of extend and, and take where we were already mature and good and push that out into uh, the commercial space instead of reinventing um, it, it was it was a huge win for us it, it saved us tons of money uh, you know we didn't have to um, repurpose or retrain people now what we have is we have this consolidated cloud portal where our customers can come in and instead of seeing a service catalog with in the past was all on-premise options now they're in there and they're seeing uh, sort of Azure options, AWS options, they still see on-premise options. They can deploy the front end out in commercial, they can deploy the back end in the, in the private data center. It, it, it gives a, uh, you know, it, you're always in it as a, so we're a service provider in the federal government, and it always is a challenge to find out ways to sort of please your consumers, especially when the consumer is exposed to what looks like an unlimited uh, availability of options out there for them to subscribe to. So what we've done is, as, as we've performed this extension of our services out, we've in effect made it look like our service catalog now has tons of new options to our customers. So as they come in there, they can buy, they can consume, and the cost for us to do this, there was the cost to, to implement uh, this capability, but you know, like I said before, we're only buying as we consume out in these commercial spaces. So, you know, as far as value realization, the effort to get the extended part out there was, was significant. But now, you know, we're only going to pay for when customers come and they sign up for those services, right? That, that gets built into their service model and their cost model, and they'll pay for those services as needed. And when they don't need them anymore, they'll turn them off, and then we don't have that financial obligation anymore. 
And how, how is that just culturally? How's that been accepted? Like, do your customers now feel like they can serve their constituent groups better? Or how has that worked? Have you gotten a lot of feedback there? So this is, is very new for us. Uh, you know, we don't, in fact, it was probably in the last 30 to 60 days that all of this really came together. Okay. Um, so, so what we have been um, experiencing so far is sort of customer demand and customer, we must have these things. We must have the commercial cloud space. We must have Azure. Now we must have AWS. Mm -hmm. um, we must be able to host in multiple places. So we're really interested to see now that all of these options are available to them. We want to we want to kind of sit back and watch the consumption habits and see uh, see where they go. Um, we have a first and foremost. I I want to say that the private data center. I think a couple of years ago, many people would have said that the private data center is probably not long. Uh, you know, everything's going to be moving to the commercial space, and nobody's going to be running their own. Uh, personal clouds anymore. I'm not sure that's the case. I think that there is a is a role for both of these private data centers and, you know, bursting or extending out into the commercial space. Or if you natively have this new business need or application that you want to invent in the commercial space, that makes sense too. But I think that uh, there's going to be a role where all of these things sort of mold together in a, in a true multi-cloud uh, environment. No, that's fantastic. I mean, and I think that's a far more pragmatic approach than what a lot of people maybe will talk about sometimes. It has to be all or nothing. I think from the BMC perspective, we definitely agree that, you know, high, having different options, but then to your point, being able to enable the choice so that people can make that decision and then choose what's best for them. That's really the best, the best version you can yeah, have. Consumer, yeah, absolutely. Consumers want choices. And if you don't have the choices, you don't even get to continue the conversation. Right? Yeah. So having the choices there allows you to continue the conversation, allows you to see what's a, a good fit for each other. Um, you know, sometimes like if you, if you walk into a restaurant and they don't have any, you know, you look at the menu and they don't have any steak on the menu and you're a steak fan, you know, you're, you're either out of there or you're not coming back. Uh, so you put the steak on there and maybe they order it, um, but you sit back in the background and as you're looking at, the consumption of your menu that determines in more long term what you guys are going to offer. So we yeah. feel that having it on the menu was the biggest win, at, you know, and it, it, having customers see that um, we're anxious to see where they choose now to put their their resources and their applications. We the, the, the commercial cloud has been available to a lot of people for quite some time now, and, and we're not seeing a lot of uh, before before we did this, we weren't seeing a lot of people going out and figuring out how to do it by themselves. They were continuing to come to the private data center. So we think that will continue, but we do think that there are some use cases where as people are modernizing their applications or reinventing, they're absolutely going to be going out into the commercial space. Okay. Any forward-looking thoughts about now that you've stated all of the possible things that they could ask for in this regard, what do you think you're going to be working on next? What's going to be the next frontier? So I, I, I think I've oversimplified, um, you know, this is definitely not a, a journey. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, not a destination. It's a journey. So, yeah, we're there, but there's so many components that go into the background of turning um, this thing that we now call. So we're calling it ag cloud internally, agricultural cloud you have to turn that into a service, right? And so we're not just dropping people off uh, in the commercial space. 
are actually giving them the catalog choices, and then we we have a it's a fully managed service offering. So we do everything for them, the patching, the compliance, the twenty four seven, the process management, everything. So if you can imagine getting all of those things um, to work together, we have a we have a twelve month roadmap, and if you saw it, it would make your head hurt. It's very detailed. Um, they're they're not necessarily Lots of sexy items on there. They're sort of like those back-end things you have to do to churn out a really quality uh, service. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're focused on for probably the next three to six months. And then as we start to get some of the consumer feedback uh, from, hey, hey, we heard you guys have commercial offerings now. So we're like, yeah, let's, why don't you come in and see what we got? And then, and that's where we get that feedback that says, well, can you put, uh, you know, this specific type of container technology in there? Can you put this, uh, you know, we heard that that commercial provider has this thing offered in their catalog. Is there a way for you guys to pull that into yours? So it's a combination of continuing to build out those back-end service components. And then here and there, we'll mix in a new capability or a new sort of microservice launch by pulling in some uh, of the different services that are offered out in the commercial space. Well, this is really exciting. So it sounds like it's just roadmap to just continue to evolve and get better and stabilize and optimize and add new, new choices. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it, uh, it, it's, it's no longer where you build this service and then you sit back and you sell it and, and, and you, you know, it's, 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 that was sort of build it, sell it. And then O and M this is more of a, a continuous development modernization enhancement initiative that is is as long as new as long as those providers and, and the technology people are innovating and putting new things out we have to be able to keep up so we have to stay in that constant mode of uh, um, keeping up and developing and modernizing and enhancing so yeah that's a different mindset I think for a lot of IT operations uh, organization right you can't just sit back uh, because if you sit back they're gonna the, the customers they can go somewhere else now so we got to keep up. No, that's fantastic. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time today. This was incredible. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice that you would offer to folks who are getting ready to even start their cloud journey or maybe stuck a little bit? Absolutely. So I, I if I can, you know, we've, we've thrown out a number of sort of little catchphrases today. I would say definitely start thinking cloud smart. Don't try to do everything. It's, it, it doesn't work for most people. Bite off very small chunks. Give yourself a very aggressive timeline, but have a really defined scope of what you're going to try to accomplish in those timelines. And, and then go out and see if you can do it. See if you can knock something out in 30 days. Um, if you can't, then go back to the drawing board and reevaluate your plan. Uh, but if you can, then just start building on it and, and, you know, just start doing it in steps until all the steps turn into, you know, sort of a path. Uh, but but you got to start small um, and, and be realistic, but be aggressive with it, too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And we wish you continued success at USDA. And I know you've made me feel better about my tax dollars. The U.S. government sounds like a very <laughs> well-oiled machine. So thank you very much. Um, and Jill, we will hand it back to you. Great. Thank you so much, Allison. And a very special thanks to Scott O'Hare from USDA for joining us today. Scott, it was an honor and pleasure to have you on. And you really shared some awesome insights with us today. So thank you. It was my pleasure. And uh, and to our listeners today, uh, please be sure to follow our podcast and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the BMC Run and Reinvent podcast. Have a wonderful day.